Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. That's M P L U S. Or follow the link in the episode description. And welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. Before we get started today, we know that many of our Out Louders are still, well, in fact, not still necessarily suffering from the floods, but increasingly so as they move around the country. We would like to do a shout out that you might have seen around on your social media feeds to an organisation called Give It. That's G-I-V-I-T dot org dot au. They are working with the New South Wales and the Queensland governments to distribute donations to places that absolutely need them and to items and products that people absolutely need in the floods. So it's a really targeted organisation that's literally buying people replacement white goods, replacement car parts, really specific things and it's very legit so you will see a few people calling out to it. We're going to put a link in our show notes today. And we'll put it on the Mum Mia Out Loud Instagram page as well if you want to go there and give it a click. Everyone's saying that even just giving $5 to give it is better than trying to donate old clothes or toys or old appliances, even though you might think that helps. It can actually slow things down because it becomes a logistical nightmare trying to get them out. So the good thing about donating money is that it can be given to the people who've lost everything to empower them to go and then buy what they need and also then put money back into local businesses, which you're mm, also doing at Taft. Absolutely. So as much as you think maybe your clothes and toys and things can help, money is always best, even if it's a small amount. There is also a feature on Give It where if it's affecting your local area, you can donate your time, which is also great if we don't all have lots of funds mm. freely available. We are erring a little bit on the side of distraction for today's show. We were talking to you on Monday, Regular Out Louders, about how you were feeling about this news cycle and what we should choose, the decisions we should make. We're erring a little bit on the side of distraction today. We're talking about how it's 2022, we're about to get back in the skies and apparently flight attendants are still expected to wear heels, makeups, and not have beards. Really? Is this what we need from the people keeping Even us the safe men. in the air? Even the men. Also, our fascination with pregnant celebrities. What does it tell us about the bodies that we allow to be visible in the world? But first, Jesse Stevens, there is some big news today. There is. Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has COVID. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has tested positive to COVID-19. More coming into the newsroom shortly. He has tested positive after receiving his results from a PCR test. And we're not doing a segment on that today. And that's what this segment is about, really. Because no one seems to be covering that. No, exactly. And it's not that no one cares. I want to be clear about that. It's that The COVID story has moved on in a very interesting way. Of course, Scott Morrison is triple vaxxed. Omicron, we know, is a milder variant. I think no one cares. 
And I don't mean that in a mean way. Yeah. I just think like if the Queen's okay, she's getting back to work today I was hearing. She's 95. I'm not that worried about ScoMo and I think that's the general vibe whether you like him or you don't like him. But the it's fact funny. that someone's got COVID is just doesn't Not feel news newsworthy. Anymore. It's so true because a year ago, certainly two years ago, the Prime Minister having COVID would have definitely been top of every news site. Oh, question. I think I would say two months ago. I yeah. would say in January yeah, right. it would have been. Before it kind of swept, especially New South Wales. But another reason why we don't have the energy to focus on this story is because of our collective impatience when it comes to COVID more broadly. And people have been sensing this for months, I think. There was a brilliant article in the New York Times recently called How COVID Stole Our Time and How We Can Get It Back. And it's by a writer named Tim Urban, and he does what he calls some depressing maths. Basically, he says that if you visualise the human lifespan, many parts of life that we think of as countless, certain moments, certain joys, are in fact incredibly countable. And he acknowledges that COVID has robbed many of us, not of literal weeks. We've had those weeks, they've been on the calendar, but of the things within those weeks that make our lives meaningful. So if that's relationships and travel and spontaneity, the cancelling of much of this has left us with what he calls a joy deficit. I thought this with my cousin who I spoke about earlier this week, who's in the floods, and it's just another waiting game. For her, it isn't life-threatening like it is for so many people in Queensland in Lismore, but her family, again, cannot go to school. She can't go up the shop and get something to eat. The power's out. It's just this waiting game and her impatience was already at an all-time high. It feels as though our resilience is sort of beginning to wane and the floods certainly aren't helping that. I wonder if there is this sense of our time being stolen, even with you know, what's going on around the world, we feel as though when are things going to get back to normal and I can focus on me and my boring life? Like when is that going to happen? Holly, are you sensing this with the news cycle at the moment, that there's a real sense of when is time going to be ours again? A hundred percent. I think there are two things there. I think that people are waiting, waiting for life to get back to normal in inverted commas and it's just not. In my life, I found myself very frustrated at the beginning of this week. And this is a very selfish thing to admit. My parents are visiting, as many of you know. First time I've seen them in two years. Plans, making plans. So this week, you know, Mm. I'm coming up to Sydney and we're going here and we're doing this. And then the kids are coming up and we're... And then at the beginning of the week, it's like rain, bomb, flooding. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And you're like, there's a little bit of you that's just like... Why can't I just count on something? Why can't we get moving again? Why can't we get back to making plans and getting on with things? And I know that that's a tiny frustration compared to the people. I mean, my God, my TV screens last night, houses underwater, Mm. what's happening in Ukraine, you know, as we discussed on Monday, just overwhelming. But we're all just like, I need things to be normal again. I want to get back in motion. And if you're being woo-woo, and there's a lesson that the universe is trying to teach us. They're re- it's really hammering it in. It's hammering it in. Mm. You can't count on anything. Making plans is a stupid thing to do. Make the most of every moment when you've got it, blah, blah, blah. Because the only thing I take issue with about the idea that COVID's stolen our time is I wonder actually historically when we look back on these and hopefully these two years, not three, four, five, yeah. six, It's not entirely wasted time. We have all learned a lot of things during that time. And, you know, the time that we were all stuck in our houses with our children or not with our children or with our loved ones or not, 
has taught us things. It's not like it was just blank space. Mm. That's the hope punk Holly I missed <laughs> yes. over well, the last She didn't say that when years. she was homeschooling. No, she really no, didn't. I don't, she but, didn't say I'm learning but so I don't much. But necessarily mean it taught us good things. Like it wasn't yeah. fun. But, but it we doesn't were mean it was meaningless. Like we were still living. We have to accept mm. the fact, and this is what we're le- like, living isn't just about going out and doing stuff. We were living through all of that. People have to live through all kinds of difficult circumstances and confinements and separations and illnesses and debilitating events. It doesn't mean life isn't happening. It's just not happening the way you want it to be happening. Mm. And we're so frustrated by it. I agree about this idea of, Jess, you say impatience, which I think is really interesting to think about it as impatience because there's despair, but impatience is quite a practical thing. It's just like, oh, for heaven's sake. And impatience is a luxury because you only get to be impatient if your life is not in danger, if your family is not in danger, if you've got food on the table, if you've got shelter, if you're not in a city being bombed. But this idea of disruption you know, I was saying to someone today, the news cycle feels relentless and we've just come out of Omicron and we've gone into a war and then we've just got our heads around the fact that there's a war and then there's a flood. And someone reminded me that it actually started with the bushfires, I don't know, Mm, two and a half years ago. That was the first, you know, we've got fire, we've got flood and we've got everything that's happened in between, including a pandemic and a war. And like the war just has only started and we're already right, okay, that's pushed down to fourth or fifth. On homepages, on, on Maybe even sites. before. Think about Trump. Think about 2016 when you started <sighs> a podcast called Tell Me It's Going to Be Okay because you're so worried about That's the right. state of the world. That was five, nearly six years ago. If you could go back and tap yourself on the shoulder, you'd say it's just not. I just would have saved the two years we did that podcast <laughs> and said the answer is no. No. Move on. And Start accepting it. What I was going to ask too is that there's been so much thrown at us. So mm. obviously the war in Ukraine is intensifying and – Among that conversation, and this is what the news cycle does, it says that, yes, there's the war in Ukraine, but how about these six other wars that have been waging in, you know, Africa? That I'm ashamed that I didn't even know about. Yes, and the Middle East that we Mm. don't even talk about. And then this discussion about refugees and a lot of people in, you know, the Western world or white people apparently caring more about refugees that look like them as opposed to refugees who don't, who have been waiting for years and years for asylum, which they're legally entitled to. It is really hard to care about everything all at once. Mia, do you think it's possible? Like you're going through your stories on Instagram or on Facebook or on the news and Mm. you're being told this is what you need to care about today. This is what you need to care about today. Is that going to lead us to just this state of apathy? Like can we keep this up? Yeah, I think we can to a degree, but we've got to pace ourselves. So to me, this is a an extreme version of what women deal with all the time in terms of we're always triaging our life. There are always multiple tabs that we have open demanding our attention, whether it's our aging parents, our little children, our mental health, our jobs, our finances, whatever it happens to be. And we have to triage them sometimes on an hourly basis. Who needs me most this morning? Mm. Who needs my attention most in this hour? And it's like the news cycle has taken that on now. And it can feel difficult because whatever you choose, you're not choosing the other things. And sometimes that can make you feel very guilty. So if I'm choosing to be interested in the Ukraine and donate there, 
what about the floods? And then what about the people who've got COVID? And what about the countries where there's no vaccinations? And what about the wars that I hadn't even realised were going on? And then what about in my small little world, what about the birthday party that I have to cancel again? What about the holiday that now isn't going to happen and it was my first holiday in three years? And then, oh my God, I'm so shallow for worrying about that when some people don't even have a roof over their heads. And I think that what you always have to remind yourself is just because things could be worse, they could also be better. And that's speaking to your point, Hole, that yes, you're not underwater and you're not in a bomb shelter, but you're having to cancel plans again. You and know, I that's just also, wanted to enjoy my parents being here. And I mean, I probably wouldn't post about that on social media, <laughs> no. but I don't think we should whip ourselves up into a frenzy of guilt when we have to look away sometimes and to say, oh my God, I'm donating here and I'm donating there and I'm caring about this and I'm posting about that. And it will never be enough because there will always be tragedy in the world. Not that we want to shut ourselves off to that, but we have to pace ourselves because if you are just an open wound and every terrible image and every awful story comes into you, you're not going to be able to function and be any good to yourself or to those around you. Hello, Mamma Mia out loud. My name is Michelle and I am calling from British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. I listen to you guys, you know, basically when I'm stepping out of the shower and getting ready for my day, you are so hardworking and driven and you quite literally just pump me up for my day and motivate me. So thank you for that. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're going to love the uniform. Our motto is big hair, short skirts, and service with a smile. When was the last time you got on a plane? I can't remember the last time I got on a plane, but when I recall in my distant memory what it was like to go to an airport or be served a drink by a flight attendant, the image I always have in my mind is of men and women, mostly women, who are very well-groomed, always much better groomed than I am. This sounds awful, but whenever they do the safety demonstration, mm. I always look at their eyeshadow. Amazing. Think, How'd you tell them There's contouring take? usually. Oh. There's usually lip liner. Yep. Beautiful hair, often with hairspray. They have a little scarf on. But female Qantas workers this week are fighting to be allowed to have a bit more control over what they wear and how they present themselves. They don't want to have to wear stockings, makeup and heels. As of yesterday, Qantas boss Alan Joyce has been asked to consider whether heels and hosiery, I don't think I've ever said that word out loud, hosiery, are still necessary. Which is appropriate for what you're about to say. Exactly. I haven't even thought about the idea of pantyhose or anyone having to wear it. There are so many rules that I never realised, Qantas flight attendants in particular, I don't know what it's like on other airlines, have to comply with. For example, women are not allowed to wear watches with large faces. Men are not allowed to grow beards or have any form of facial hair. 
And there's been a new letter from the Assistant National Secretary of the Australian Services Union that represents flight attendants. And the push is for more inclusive uniforms to coincide with the month's celebrations of Mardi Gras and also International Women's Day. Some of the demands that the union has made, or requests, should we call them requests? We ask that Qantas review the current uniform requirements and at a minimum make these sensible and low-cost changes for a more inclusive workplace. And these requests include remove the requirement for women to wear makeup, allow all employees to wear makeup in accordance with the style guide if they wish, allow women to wear low-heeled shoes, including permitted loafers with all uniform items, not just trousers. At the moment, they can wear flat shoes if they're wearing trousers, but if they're wearing skirts, they must wear heels. Please consider whether heels and hosiery are still necessary at all. And it goes on and on. And also one of the ones that I thought was interested, Jesse, allow Qantas badges to display preferred pronouns. What do you think about this idea of uniform requirements and hair requirements and face requirements? I have been on the record on this podcast to say when it comes to like uniforms and standards and all of that, I think it can be quite elitist and classist. And I think that it's... Why elitist and classist? I mean, anybody can put makeup on. Hosiery is not that expensive. Presumably there's some kind of allowance if you have to wear a uniform. but I think that it's about presenting a certain way. And ultimately, I think that it's quite objectifying and superficial to think that someone, because ultimately what this trickles down to is that when you apply to be a airline host or someone who works in these positions, you sit down and the person who is interviewing you is judging you on what you look like, because that's part of what the job is. And obviously I am uncomfortable with that. There used to be weigh-ins for flight attendants. And on some airlines there still are. Some airlines still have guys guidelines of how tall you have to be and what your BMI has to be. I thought about this and I looked up, hang on, why why have they had to wear the makeup? What's the makeup even about? Did you know that the lipstick has, according to history and some of the things I read, the lipstick is about being able to read their lips in case of an emergency? And so if you're hard of hearing, no, Holly, that is what I heard. And also- what tricky if they're wearing a mask. Yes, exactly. The other thing that I read in terms of the makeup is that think about the last long haul flight you went on, right? Say you went to Europe, you went to the States, something like that. What happens to human dignity on those flights? Oh, it's bad. <laughs> People it's bad. drool. Mm. They snore. They do. Oh, that person's changing into their pajamas beside me. Smelly feet. Smelly feet. Putting a it's mask on. Disgusting. Like a skincare mask. Yes, on. exactly. Yeah. It's disgusting. It's like all of a sudden I'm in the private bathroom of yes. 300 people. Yep. The makeup is about demanding mm. a certain level of decorum. I like that. And I actually read on it. Well, that, that is, and it's about <laughs> ironing your shirt, putting on some deodorant. Don't they look fresh when they you wake fresh. up and you've been drooling, you know, your ankles behind your ear yes. and you're like, oh, hello. And they're like, can I get you some orange juice? And you're juice? like, you look so pretty. <laughs> you look so, it's so pretty. I feel like I'm in the land of the living. Yeah. And I thought about studying at uni and there were all these psychological experiments. And basically, if you put someone in a nurse's uniform and you ask them to do something, they will be implicitly kinder because we rise to the standard of our uniform. That is a human psychology hack. If people look a certain way oh my God. and they stand a certain way and they <laughs> walk around the plane, I, like I just this. think they might I wonder. kind of... I think that it's about holding people to a standard. So then they come on. I don't agree, obviously, with skirts, heels, all of that. Heels, bad for the back. However, I do think a certain level of presentation 
is great. I love that you're arguing this, right? <laughs> because what I want to know is why, particularly for flight attendants, because it feels like something that is inevitably going to die off, this kind of incident. Because really, let's be honest, I mean, maybe the lipstick has something to do with reading of lips. Come on, really? <laughs> what about the male flight attendants? They're not allowed to wear lipstick. That's one of they the things the Good union's point. asking but for. But maybe that's why be. they can't wear beards well, yeah. because you need to be able to see their Come lips. On. There we but, go. So if we are giving that some credence and I can feel the emails coming our way <laughs> as I say that, but really flight attendants historically were treated as dolly birds. That's I'm going to say. Trolley like, dollies they used to yeah, be called. And like, you know, think about when Virgin first mm-hmm. launched in Australia oh. and Richard Branson and he's like, I've got the hottest air hostesses and look at all yeah. these beautiful girls. And we now recognize how demeaning that is to people who are doing an honest job and, you know, a difficult job, a really difficult job. It's interesting because I was talking to my daughter about flight attendants only this week because she was saying to me, is that a good job? And I was saying, it's a really hard job. People are awful on planes. Yeah, <laughs> you see know? so the worst in people. <laughs> they really are. And it's interesting what you say, Jesse, about rising to a standard because, again, I think what another reason why this is inevitably going to fade out is that my parents' generation, they dress up to get on a plane. Mm. Like when I went to pick my parents up the other day, my dad would never get on a plane without a jacket. You know, like a jacket, Mm. dressing up a little bit. It's an occasion, travelling. He wasn't drooling. Even on a train almost for a certain generation is as you dress a certain way. And we've let go of that a long time ago. We, You know, you come off a plane and you're in your tracky pants and your slides and your fleece and your face mask, as you say, as in your... With your neck pillow still on. Exactly. And I feel that we're letting go of all of that. And I think that it's inevitable we're going to let go of this archaic idea that plane rides are hard and we want something pretty to look at, which is really what I think for a long time people have expected of flight attendants and flight attendants are going, no, like that's not what we're here for. We're here to do our job, look after you, make you comfortable, probably save some lives along the way, know what to do in a um, crisis, all of those things. It's not about the heels. They should be able to wear sneakers. Can you imagine you're on your feet for that long? They need a comfortable shoe. I mean, I completely agree with all that. But to play devil's advocate, what about the people that say, well, if you're a brand and Qantas is a brand, don't you have the right as an employer to decide how you want your brand represented? Because they are the front of house, yeah. as if you like. They're certainly and not the only industry, right? There are no. lots of, I mean, like hospitality, a, 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 would, a yeah. makeup department in a department store yeah. or in a in a fancy makeup shop. Like you've got to look a certain way. Clothing brand, wear the clothes, et cetera. Mm. I think it's an interesting idea to grapple with because in a way, in the same way that an airline or any brand would choose the models or the people that they have in their ads because they want to project a certain image, how is that different to their employees? I think that where it is different is when there are different requirements for men and women. Yeah. And the idea that women can wear pants, but wanting there to be a little bit more freedom. And I'm interested to know, and please, I'm sure we've got a lot of outlouders that are flight attendants with different airlines. Please let us know. What are the requirements around the makeup? Like how much makeup do you have to wear and who polices that? Apparently there are some airlines, sort of like an Etihad, say, which have very clear eyebrows, um, liquid liner, shade of lipstick. I'm not sure if it's the same in Australia. I think there are a couple of shades of lipstick that you can wear as a Mm. Qantas flight attendant. But, yeah, let us know what you think out louders in the Facebook group or on Instagram or you can drop us a line. (laughs) 
You are making it your fashion show. I love I'm it. I'm trying to mm-hmm. enjoy it as much as I could. And fashion is one of my favorite things. So, you know, redefining what it means to even be pregnant and maternal, you know, it always, it, it, it can get uncomfortable at times. So, you, you know, you can dress the part and pretend. A lot of young women I know are obsessed with Rihanna's stomach specifically her pregnant stomach. So Rihanna, one of the most famous women in the world, is currently pregnant. She famously revealed it in uh, tabloid speak with a very stylish paparazzi walk in New York City where she was wearing a crop top and an open puffer jacket and she looked a million dollars and she's showing off her bump and everybody lost their minds. Since then, there have been a million headlines in style blogs and everywhere saying Rihanna is redefining maternity wear. She is an icon. She is proudly displaying her bump in a way that apparently is new and fresh, which makes me feel old because I thought women had been walking around pregnant for a really long time. How is it new and fresh? It's out there, right? Like Rihanna is still dressing like Rihanna, you know, but she's pregnant. She's not wearing maternity wear. No. She's just wearing what she would and having the navel, like, is that what you call it, a navel? Yeah, she was out this week in an event. She's wearing a sheer black dress with underwear underneath. She, again, looks amazing and lots of young women Mm. I know are swooning over it. Mm. And it sparked two really interesting conversations in my circles recently. And one of them was about some women hate being pregnant. It's incredibly difficult. They feel sick the whole time. They hate being so out of control of their bodies. Other women feel a level of freedom about body image in pregnancy that they never feel any other time. Mm. I think Rihanna was saying this week that she loves being pregnant and showing off that body at the beach or whatever. And it reminded me of when I was pregnant, it was one of the few times in my life when I could be at the beach in a swimsuit and not feel self-conscious because you're like, I'm pregnant, deal with it. This is what you're getting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet the minute... Don't have to hold in your stomach. Exactly. The salient feature is the stomach. And you, I imagine you would feel as though everything else, it's like, no one's even going to notice what my legs look like because I am just a Big walking And you're just, it's just a time in your life where briefly, and this isn't actually always true, but briefly you get a little bit of a pass from the body jail that we're all in all the rest of the time. Mm. Because the minute the baby comes out, then you have to start feeling terrible in your swimmers again. Time to 100. Put that tummy away. No one wants to see that flabby mess. When are you going to bounce back? Put it back in. All those things. It's an interesting conversation about how women's stomachs are allowed that we're allowed to look at and have in our celebrity magazines are allowed to be two types. They either have to be super flat and abby, like we recently saw with Nicole Kidman on that Vanity Fair cover, mm. and we're seeing with all the new low-rise jeans that make Shredded. you want to. Oh. Mm. Or they can be pregnant and taut and round, but anything in the middle is not okay. I think I need to bring back confronting stomach. You do. Oh, yeah. Do you remember when I posted uh, years ago now a picture of my stomach rolls and I just was like, you know, it's just my stomach. It's what my stomach looks like. I've had three kids, whatever. And the Daily Mail did a big story. Mia Friedman posts <laughs> confronting photo confronting of within stomach. Capitals. Confronting. And then it became confronting stomach. And I remember when I did that, my kids were like, oh, my God, why aren't you freaking out? The Daily Mail saying these awful things. And I'm like... That's why society's messed up. Like this is what a stomach looks like. I am a 40-something woman as I was at the time. I've had three kids. This is just a stomach. You know, the kind of stomachs that you see in popular culture, that's one type of stomach, but it's a very rare type of stomach. It's a rare type of stomach and the toned abs thing has become cultural shorthand, not by accident, for health and fitness. And it's become that. 
because it is nearly impossible to attain. For women, especially, who have any amount of fat on their stomachs, you are not going to look like Nicole Kidman, which is perfect when you're trying to sell women something because it's like they will continue to try buy and buy and try and try and try and they're always going to whip themselves. Because I've seen this. I've been at the beach and I have turned to my sister and said, I cannot wait to be pregnant and pointed to a woman and gone, the freedom in that. It is because when you are pregnant as a woman, for perhaps the first time in your entire life, you don't have to suck in. And I you feel don't have to though, suck in, but I think it's also wrong for us to paint it as this freedom from body jail because a lot of women, yeah. there's still so much discussion and really what you discover when you're pregnant because you think that, right? And yes. then you get pregnant and the right way, yeah. in quote marks, is to just have a cute little neat bump. Otherwise, people say to you things like, you're enormous. Yeah. Because also yeah. what they don't say is sometimes your bottom gets pregnant, sometimes your legs and your arms. But and I think your ankles swell and like every bit of me was pregnant. My lips were pregnant, mm. my eyes were pregnant. (laughs) That's definitely true. You quickly learn that really the way that you're allowed to be pregnant and Rihanna looks a bit like this. She looks absolutely glorious. But it's it's that second trimester that's the sweet spot. It is. But it's like ideally you don't look pregnant from the back and then you turn around and people go, oh, that's that's the acceptable compact bump. But I also have a theory that people are obsessed with pregnant celebrities depending on their life stage, right? Mm. So all the young women I know who are ooing and ahhing about Rihanna, it's either because they themselves are thinking about that in their world or all their friends are pregnant and it's something that really surrounds them. And I remember the celebrities who were pregnant when I was pregnant and I will always remember them. I remember that Nat Bassingthwaite, she was pregnant exactly the same time as me. There was Camilla Alves, who's Matthew McConaughey's partner. She had a baby the same year as me. I did not look like that. And then with my second baby, Kim Kardashian, and she got so much shit for the way Mm. that she looked when she was pregnant that it actually kind of gave me a bit of transferred trauma about it because I was Mm. like, if her ankles are bad, they should see my ankles. But it's like you have a celebrity pregnancy. put pictures of her and then pictures of a killer whale on the cover. And compared them. Yeah. Joyfully. So cruel. And she didn't carry a baby after that pregnancy. No. Interestingly. Do you remember the celebrities who were pregnant when you were? Oh, completely. And because I've had three, there's a lot of them. I remember Heather Locklear was my first one. And then with my second, it was Beck Hewitt and Princess Mary. And then with my third, it was Bloody Angelina. Oh. (laughs) That wasn't great. (laughs) And everybody's like, why not so Angelina She also was pregnant with twins. So, yeah, you always remember because you look and you compare. And the thing is you're so right, Hole, about when we were planning the show today and you said, oh, everyone's talking about Rihanna and everyone's obsessed. And it's like, what? Like I knew she was pregnant and I think I maybe saw the one photo, but I've not heard one person talking about it because at my age, not interested. But I can totally see women always, even before you have babies, you absorb the cultural messages about how you should look. So it's like, Jessie, you and your ilk Mm. are rehearsing and gathering data for the next life for, stage. For your next life stage. And this stage. is what I might wear and this yeah. is how I might feel. This is how to be pregnant in 2022. Jesse, you have a recommendation for us. I do. It is a book, Again Rachel by Marion Keyes. <gasps> it is Marion Keyes' newest book. I love her unconditionally. I while I was reading this, I started and I couldn't stop smiling and I thought life is just a series of sad moments that happen in between Marion Key's books. Aww. Like because I just love living in that world with all her characters and 
There are laugh out loud moments. The family stuff is brilliant. For anyone who's read Rachel's Holiday, that was one of her earliest books. And it was about a character named Rachel who struggled with addiction. And it was kind of her coming to terms with that. And she goes to a um, rehab center Mm. thing. Really fascinating and well done by Marion Keyes because that is a lived experience. She's had a history of addiction when it comes to alcohol. So she writes about it really insightfully. This is years on and they've all, I think it could be 20 years on. And It's a sequel and I don't yeah, think she's done that before. She hasn't. And so I was nervous because mm. I was like, oh, is they this going to be? be as, oh, no. Those characters had clearly been living in her head all of these years <sighs> and it's not just her. You get to work out where all the characters from all her other books are. You do not need to have read Rachel's Holiday or any of her other books to understand this mm. as well. It works on its own. It's so, so good. It's read funny it. you say that about living in Marion's world. At Christmas... I just read Marion Key's books. So I read her the one that came out before, again, Rachel, which was... Uh, Grown Ups. Grown Ups. Loved that. And then I went back and read Rachel's Holiday in preparation for this yeah. sequel to come out. And I read a couple of others because I it just... She's funny, but you know there's going to be a happy ending, but it's not going to be cliche mm. and she draws characters so well and she does a great plot and it's just comfort. It's warm and cosy. Mm. So I've, good. I've been listening to her podcast, Thank oh, You yeah. For Asking, with um, Tara oh. Flynn, who's a comedian, and it's like that. It's like that wonderful, warm feeling in a show. It's so good. That is all we have time for today on Mamma Mia Out Loud. Thank you for listening. The episode was produced by Emma Gillespie and the executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And on yesterday's subscriber segment, Mia and I had a conversation about how Mia posing in a bra. We talked about this on the show because Jessie had to have an intervention about it. Which was really fair enough. Yeah, she put a blue bra on over her blue dress and posed in it. And what happened next was really interesting because a lot of Mia's followers pointed out something very problematic about the bra she was wearing and we have a very enlightening conversation about it. Here's a tiny bit of it. I also feel the burden as a consumer of do I now have to, before I buy anything, know all the political and social beliefs that is someone pro-choice? Are they pro-LGTBQI? people are they pro-vac like does the fact that you're buying something from them mean that you endorse all their views and this is something that we've that is complicated within the call out culture cancel culture is that if i watch that tv show but that guy said something horrible once am i supporting what he said Bye. bye bye Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.